The world-famous Conservation Canine Camp will next be running in southeast Queensland, Australia, from the 21st to the 25th of August. Join us with your dog to start your journey into conservation detection. Visit padfoot.com.au to book your place today. Welcome to the Conservation Canine Podcast, the show that celebrates the dog teams protecting the natural world. I'm James Davis, and in this episode, I'm joined by Benny Van Zyl. Benny is the Specialist Canine Technical Advisor for the Frankfurt Zoological Society at North Luangwa National Park in Zambia. He talks about his career from explosives detection in Iraq through to conservation dog work and helping build North Luangwa's successful canine unit. Okay, Benny, welcome to the Conservation Canine Podcast. So um, before we get started into what I really want to talk to you about today, which is about the dogs and the training, tell me, you uh, you ran the London Marathon in a rhino suit. So uh, where did that start to chafe first? Oh, <laughs> uh, under the arms, because you had to like put it in your your arms into the rhino's legs, front legs, basically. Oh, yeah. geez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a long way to be going dressed as a rhino. So what was that all in aid of? Uh, so this was just uh, um, raising money for to save the rhinos, for saving the rhinos, um, Save the Rhinos International. So, yeah. Oh, excellent. Good stuff. Cool. Okay, so, um, so for people who may not know you and so on, let, let's talk a little bit about you. So how did you kind of get started in dog work? What is it you do now? Oh, so... I've been in dogs now for about 18 years. Um, so I started basically straight out of high school and then um, started with a private security company called Specialist Dog Services. And um, I did my explosive and demining course and then got shipped out straight to Iraq. I've uh, done about four years in, in Iraq and about three and a half in Afghanistan. Um, wow. Yeah, so that's um, where I started basically. Um, just searching for explosives and landmines and yeah, took it from there, came back to South Africa and then the conservation world started opening up for me. Yeah, fair enough. So that's, uh, that's a pretty young age to be, uh, to be heading out and messing around with explosives and, and all of that, you know, yeah. bad stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. How did you find that? It must've been a bit of a baptism of fire. Yeah, it was actually, it was nice, you know, um, so I was 18 years old when I started my career. Um, and then the first time I left South Africa, they shipped me off to Iraq. Um, it was actually very exciting. You know, young guy, full of action and everything else. So it was nice. No, good stuff. Yeah. Any uh, interesting tor- stories you're allowed to tell? Did you uh, find anything really interesting or be involved in anything in particularly interesting? Or oh, It's just a, a couple of uh, basically um, vehicle-borne, explosive devices in um in the car lanes but uh, i can tell you this the feeling never changes if, if your dog sits on the explosive device because you never know how big it is and you know mm. i think the first the first time i found something um i nearly fainted so <laughs> so uh, it was a it was a good feeling yeah but 
know. Yeah, yeah, you, you can you can definitely feel your ass starting to pucker on that one. Yeah, you? exactly. As soon as you get that first indication, yeah, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely a little bit of a squeaky room. Yeah. That <laughs> oh yes. Okay, so so moving away from that, so then you got into uh, the conservation side of things. So how did how did that happen? Because that's uh, it's an interesting journey away from that. Was that intentional or um, oh, so just a natural evolution? Actually, not intentional. Um, I was working for a security company in South Africa, um, and we did um, work for Endangered Wildlife Trust, the EWT, and um, we had like a standing thing with them where. We went out and searched airport companies, um, all the import and export for them mm-hmm. with uh, wildlife detection dogs. And then they got a, a trial going on in Zambia. Um, and then I came with two dogs. It was a huge success. We found a couple of things. And then after that, uh, Zambia started with the wildlife conservation dogs, basically. Great. And what dogs were you running at that time? Have you got a Have you got a preference? Yeah, so I like uh, working with a Belgian Malinois or German Shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, yeah, that's that's it. So when I came the first time over here, I had a, a Belgian Malinois and a German Shepherd. We did the trial with, and then I came back to South Africa, kept on training, and it took about I think a year or two after that when the job. A job opened up over here, and then I took it. Yeah. Okay. So, so tell us about your role now, then. So, so what are you doing, and where are you doing it? Okay, so, it so now I'm the specialist canine technical advisor for Frankfurt Zoology Society in North Angwa, and a conservation program. Um, I'm responsible for all the training of the canines and the handlers, and then just keep the standard up high, you know, and make sure we are successful. Okay. So yeah. in terms of success then, so, so what, is, what does success look like for you guys? What is it you're really focusing on? Okay. So what we do is we go out and search villages and roadblocks. And um, success for me is, first, first of all, to see your team grow, basically, and see them understand. Um, after that, it is the number of fines you basically find um, and the number of things you stop from coming into the park or you leaving the country. Um, so, so we are basically a little bit of anti-poaching and a little bit of uh, anti-trafficking as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... so- so let's start talking about the dogs now. So, which is obviously what most people listening to this podcast are, are interested in. Um, yeah. so, so tell me, so what dogs have you got in the program? How do you select them? How are they trained? How do you keep them motivated on task? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. So, um, when I came to Zambia, I basically they, they, they had dogs already, two dogs. One was like mm-hmm. a pit bull, one is still a pit bull Labrador cross. Um, then the other one was a lab German Shepherd cross. Uh, they're still working. Um, still very That's good dogs. Good. How, how, how old are they now? Uh, they're probably about seven. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking to retire them next year. Um, but anyway, so on my selection, I uh, try to find dogs with uh, high exceptional high drive, um, like chasing a ball. Uh, they call prey drive. 
uh, chasing a ball, and you can basically see if a dog is in its cage, and you swing a ball outside the cage, and you just chuck the ball over there where the dog can see it. You can basically see the dog thinking, how am I going to get that toy? And you can see him develop a plan, you know, and they never stop. They just run up and down, and they just want to get to that ball. These are the dogs I like to to select. Um, they have mm. to be sound as well. Uh, they don't have to be afraid of people or vehicles, moving vehicles. Um, so it's a it's a it's quite a process, um, and they're not so easy to find. Though, um, mm. luckily we I've, I've got a, a good connection, good connections um, that that sells good dogs. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's lucky because it's a bit of a common theme worldwide, I think, trying to find, you know, those decent – yeah, they're in great demand, aren't they? You yeah, know, they are, yeah. yeah. The, the decent, you know, dogs with a high prey drive, the soundness, the you know, the work ethic, the resilience, you know, yeah, just exactly. to be out there yeah. you know, in the paddock all day long, you know, yeah. working hard. Oh, um, yeah. And so, so what, what sort of ages are you, are you looking at when you're getting them? Are they Have they undergone any basic training or anything like that, or are they completely green when yes, you get them? Sometimes um, uh, we'll get completely green, but I think I've learned now it's a little bit – it takes too long to fully train a dog when it's completely green. So um, I like to choose a dog from about one and, one and a half, two years old, uh, and partially trained, so I can just add on to – to that and it takes the process a lot quicker yeah, yeah yeah and and in terms of training how do you i mean how do you do that what's your method for actually getting them on to scent and you know and, and learning the job and, and all of that sort of stuff yeah so normally what we do is once a dog comes into the park um we walk about in the park a little bit so that we just uh desensitize them to elephants and impala zebra all these animals so they don't get startled when they see these things um, or they don't just run after them, you know. Um, so then we start imprinting with the box training. Um, and my minimum is about eight weeks on that. Um, mm-hmm. So then I'll just take a couple of days, maybe put ammo in the box and just train the dog on ammo, ammo, ammo. And then yep. the next scent will come and the next scent and the next scent till the dog's mm-hmm. fully capable of finding that scent. Then we'll move on to uh, a scent wall. Do uh, mm-hmm. more bit of scent uh, search pattern, and then we'll yep. move from ve- from sand wall to vehicles and vehicles to buildings, yeah, and then we just rotate them all the time, and then we start operational training after that. Yeah, so just really layering up those yeah. kind of skills, building, building, building from yeah, the, exactly from the yeah. up, really. Yeah, and so with the, I mean. You mentioned there with the uh, yeah the ammunition. It's obviously the sense of that. Is that sort of a common denominator? I mean, in, in most of the stuff you're looking for, would that always be yeah? So the, there. Or? Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, so sorry, are you teaching them on a cocktail, or are you teaching them sort of just to discriminate for different things on command? Yeah. So what I do, I don't like doing cocktails. Um, so mm-hmm. I like training the dog on one specific scent with distractors in there as well. Um, so I'll do ammo. Uh, because it will always be there. Um, and then we move on from ammo to maybe bushmeat, and then from bushmeat. These are, these are quite all the easy ones to find, basically. Yeah. And then after that, when the dog, you know, realizes what to do on the boxes, on the sand wall and everything else, it's very easy to implement the dog on ivory or rhino or skins or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean... 
on that, I've done a, a little bit of ivory stuff in the past, and um, I don't know if this is true because I haven't done a lot of it, but in terms of the way the scent moves and the scent picture of ivory, um, I was told that it actually moves in a column kind of straight upwards. So the dog's literally got to be on top of the uh, the smell of ivory you know, to get that. Is that valid, do you think, or was somebody uh, blowing smoke up my ass? No, this is so... Uh, I can sh- tell you the difference between bushmeat and ivory. So if you take ivory, basically, and you put it in the box, the ivory has to fill up the box first before the scent comes out, where bushmeat just just blows out. You know, it's a very strong scent. So ivory is a very dense, dense uh, material, and it's yeah. sometimes it's hard to find. Um, it depends on how old it is, how fresh it is. Um, yeah. Where uh, we, we had a couple of finds this year where dogs just dig it out underneath the ground you know it's like a one meter deep buried underneath yeah. rice where the dog just found it extremely quickly um so yeah, yeah it, it's been lying there for maybe like two or three days so it's still it had time to come out so it's, yeah. it's easy to find yeah yeah, yeah. i see okay yeah. um and going back to something else you said before as well um just thinking about the prey drive i mean uh, trying to get a dog with the sort of prey drive we look for, you know, from a reward perspective, um, to not chase the native wildlife um, mm-hmm. is always a bit of a challenge. Yeah. So, uh, so, so how, how do you go about kind of shaping that behavior? Oh, so yeah, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you, you cannot get it out of a dog, you know. Um, but normally, if, if the search pattern and everything else is very good, you know, and, and the, the training beforehand is very good say you do basically tracking with the dog um i've seen dogs where they will veer off and find that try to get that animal but it knows it's wrong because it will stop and then basically just look uh (laughs) can i and you just go nope get to work and then they'll just continue working um but yeah so just um sometimes ignoring them the ignoring the the wildlife um and sometimes you have to like just give it a little nudge, saying, "Oh, you need to get back to work," you know. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Actually, I mean that ties in quite closely to my own experience. That uh, the best way really is teaching them, yeah, you know, when they're kind of on mission and when they're not. You know, when they're yeah. in work mode and when they're not, and when they're in work mode, they're not allowed to, you know, deviate, yeah, you know, exactly. from the job. Yeah. Um, Although saying that, I've got one dog um, at the moment that was previously a hunting dog, and sometimes if he hasn't had a win for a little while, he'll actually you know, start to go off and put some put some game up, and you know he's, he's he sort of reverts to his previous job to try oh, yes. and uh, yeah. try and get the win. So he's a yeah little yeah. shitbag. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so so your so your dogs um they're all uh, are they all certified by the um ASCT which is what the American Society of Canine Trainers is that yeah yeah all my dogs yeah, yeah. are yeah so I've got three new dogs that's in well not new fairly new dogs um, we're waiting yeah. on so after the certification I'm doing over in Lusaka um, uh, the master trainer from Lusaka will come up with me to North Park and then he'll certify mm-hmm. my unit. Okay, so, great. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, but um, all of us are certified, and we've got a bunch of levels that we, we are um, slot in. So I've got um, myself, I'm an instructor with him. Um, then I've got a trainer below me and two master senior master handlers, two master handlers, 
and two handlers, and then there's six new, fairly new handlers that need to be certified on handler status. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So what does the um, so, so I'm not familiar with the yeah with the certification process um, of those guys. So so what does it entail? What does it involve? Is it a program? Is it focused on the dog, on the team, on the handler? Yeah, how does it? How does the whole thing work? Yeah. So basically, it's focused on the whole unit, uh, everything in the unit, from husbandry of the dog to finding something with the dog. You know, this uh, company is uh, yep. worldwide um, recognized as well. Um, they are in various amounts of countries, from Finland to the States to UK, Australia is there, um, a bunch of countries in, in, in Africa. Um, so yeah, certification process is basically you, I, what I do when I do my certification, I do odor recognition on boxes, basically to see if all the dogs know the odor they are supposed to know. Um, and once that step is done, we'll go to vehicles. We search vehicles. They have to find a couple of targets. They're not allowed to miss one or set false. Um, otherwise, they'll fail. Um, and then on buildings, we do a time trial on a building. It's basically, you just hide targets, and then they have to to find the, building, uh, the targets in the building and tell you, yes, we found it. This is where they are. And then, yeah, uh, depending on your program, We'll shape the certification that suits your program. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, so then talking about the handlers, um, in a lot of, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but in a lot of other jurisdictions in the world, part, part of the, it's almost as big a challenge to find decent handlers as it is to find decent dogs. Um, is that something you guys have cracked? Have you nailed it or are you, you know, uh, well, how, how are you? <laughs> yeah so basically well what we do is we we have a big selection course of um of a of a lot of people communities around the, the north park um which mm -hmm. is is very big for us um is to keep it in the communities around the park and um and then we select the best out of the the people that made the selection and we train them for the rhino elephant protection unit and then i select from over the repo units and then I do my selection for canine and train these guys up to be canine. You know, it's 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 kind of hard to find people to to suit the dogs um, because the dogs are good. You know, um, I yeah, we've got one dog over there where um, you know I've I've we I've got a child and then Ed and Claire's got children. So I ask them as well, oi, come and work the dogs. And you know, when child's nine and they work the dog sometimes, and the dog just bang on, just keep on working. Um, so basically what we do is select handlers. Um, it's not everybody who makes it. Um, it's not because they, they're bad. It's just they don't have it in them, basically, to handle dogs. They, they don't have that feeling, that passion, you know. It's, it's a little bit hard to des describe, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> But, but I think everybody listening probably knows exactly what you mean. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the handlers you have, I mean, once they join your unit, are they dedicated on on dog work or are they cross-functional? Do they work across all the different areas? Or Okay, so currently I've got 13 handlers. Um, two of those handlers are cross-functioning. Um, mm -hmm. uh, one of my – so I've got five female handlers, five girls in my unit. Um, oh, good. 
which is very good where one of them are like she's between canine and control room but she is actually like really good and everything she just touched turns into gold she's like really really good and um, <laughs> yeah and then i've got a my trainer he's a commander as well um so he he shares his time with canine and commander duties which is it's good it teaches them to grow more and not just canine but in other places as well and the rest of the people we're still growing we're still teaching we're still you know just stacking it up so they can just be more than just canine so how do you um go, i mean what is the training you put them through so you've been through you've kind of selected the ones you think you know might have the right the right stuff to join the canine unit what does what the training involve so the reason i ask is i've seen a video of some handlers being blindfolded and having to walk through an obstacle course and you know while other people are shouting at them and oh, yeah. distract them uh, is that you guys or is that somewhere else oh uh, the i think that is uh invictus uh invictus uh method but it's actually a very good method um mm-hmm. it basically teaches the handler to follow instructions and to trust the, the guy giving the instructions you know so yeah. and the other people screaming and shouting is uh the distractor so it's a very good 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 <laughs> sense of you know just listen and follow and you'll be okay basically yeah yeah so so what so what is the program that you take the handlers through what, what do they have to do yeah so normally what we do is we take our old dogs and then we start we start in fitness with handlers every day we go running um come back take dogs out we start in box training so in box training i can teach a couple of things where where we work on leash control, speed of the handler, reading the dog, um, reward systems, praise. Um, yeah, so, so it's a couple of things you can work on just on that. And then um, we'll just, in those that eight-week period, we'll just keep on growing, 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 and then move on from there to the same pool. And then the, the dynamics change a, lo- a little because the box is basically not just on the ground now, it's up, up on the wall. And the handlers, sometimes they struggle with it a little bit, but um, they get through it. And then, yeah, it's, it just comes natural, basically, for the, for most of them. And then, yeah, then we move on from there to vehicles, and then we teach the productive areas, um, where, where to search, where not to search. Um, and then we move on to the buildings and everything else. That's great. So, so what would be a sort of a typical operational protocol then? So, you know, so if your if your team is going to go out, you know, to do a job, you know, mm-hmm. what are the how do they go about that? Okay, so we've got two parts of, of, of that. So we've got a plant operation normally where we do roadblocks. Um, so we just get some um, operational funding, and then we we mount a roadblock somewhere in in the area. And we search all vehicles coming through and going past us. Um, then there's the other part as well where we use, uh, where we work a lot with uh, intelligence uh, departments, and they will call us out. We'll go out, and then we'll go out and get a village searched, and yeah, basically find things and come back. So there must be an element of danger there. There is. Um, they. There's sometimes, you know, um, in, in the villages, sometimes you get a mob rising, you know, and they, and my jo- guys just back up and leave, you know. Um, 
it's, it is quite hard and difficult for a very small team just to stand against the crowd. You know, we don't have too many people doing uh, village sweeps. Um, but most of the times, uh, we're in and we're out anyway. So we hit them fast and we come out with results. And then, yeah, we're back, yep. back on the road. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and in terms of results, I mean, what, what what's the greatest result the team has had, do you think? I think for, for myself, I like finding weapons um, because we stop it before it happens, um, before anything bad happens. You know, it's always nice to find ivory, basically. You know, uh, it's, it's a significant find, but you not always want to find ivory because it's already happened. It's, it's yeah. the fact, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. So... I like to go out in the village, clean uh, clean certain parts of that village, find guns, get them out, find ammo, get them out. You know, that's that's the best I think you can find. Or uh, sometimes what we do find is live pangolins as well. Uh, that is also a great find. And then we, they've got a nice program over here in Lusaka, and then we'll send the pangolin over here, and then they'll fix it and release it. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Great. Um, so, setting up a you know, professional canine unit, as most people listening to this will understand, is is quite a difficult undertaking. What are the main lessons you've learned, you know, in doing that process where you are? Oh, quite a difficult question. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sorry, you, you can. You can actually blame Ed for that question. I, I messaged. <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen Ed in about thirty years, but I sent him a message saying, "I'm talking to Benny. <laughs> what questions should I ask him?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, learning from a couple of mistakes um, where we just went out and did operations. You know, it's it's a bit wasteful um, of money and operational funds. Um, our system works perfect for where we are. Um, uh, where we do a lot of integration with uh, the intelligence units. And that is key for us. You know, from when I started, we had like 80, 80 arrests a year. And consistently, for the five years I've been here now, we've broken each record of number of arrests working with the intelligence units, going from 80 to 85 to 89 to 165 to 170 arrests per year. Which is which is quite significant for a very small unit um, and highly effective. It is an expensive unit, um, uh, very expensive. So we've we've got five vehicles running. Um, we've got three, four kennels set up already now. You know we are expanding to Nsumbu. Um Dogs are not cheap. Food are not cheap. Veterinary care is not cheap. You know, especially when we are remote as we are. You know, just to get a dog to Lusaka quickly in an emergency is about $3,000. Um, and then, yeah, so it is husbandry, very, very, very important. It's one of the most important things you can because a healthy dog is, is a healthy operation, basically. So you have to keep uh, the dogs healthy. You have to feed them good food. You cannot skip any of those steps, basically. Um, but for us, being so successful, I think um, the major part is integration with uh, intelligence units. Very important. Yeah, yeah. And 
talking about, I mean, obviously the husbandry element and all of those costs. I mean, how do you, I mean, how do you get an effective return on investment? I mean, how, I mean, I presume you have funding bodies and, you know, the, the money always comes from somewhere and wherever there's money flowing, there's accountability. So how does that really work out in your world? How do you offer, you know, that return on investment? Because obviously as professional dog people, yeah, we all know what a great asset you know, dogs are and yeah. how good they are at the job. But we also all butt up against the wall of, you know, budgetary constraints and oh, all yes. that sort of things. So yeah. How do you fight your case? Oh, so I think uh, <laughs> um, so I think uh, it's very important to, to to keep data as well for, for your previous years doing, you know, um, and that would be your case on getting more budget basically, or more money or funding for, for your unit, you know, where you're consistently very good in finding things and stopping things from happening. Um, it, later on, it will, it will almost speak for itself, basically. Um, but it is also very important just to keep true to what you are doing and not try to, to play around with anything else, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, <laughs> it certainly always presents a challenge, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and obviously, when you've got those challenges, I mean, going to what you were saying there, yeah, how do you practically maintain those kind of how, yeah those high standards? Oh, it's a lot of training. It is a lot of <laughs> a lot of just keep watching over the people, learning, teaching them. You know, um, and and we are fortunate enough for for our guys that that they are progressing and the motivation is quite high in my unit. Um, and keeping that motivation, what we do for, for our guys is basically uh, we send them over to some other programs. We've, we've visited Malawi um, with Tabs and the Longway Wildlife Trust. We've, we've searched the Kruger Park canine unit twice now. Um, we've went to um, Tanzania at Grumeti for that canine unit. Um, we went to Kenya so uh, visit um, Liwa and Old Jogi with some handlers. You know, so the motivation is, is quite high. We, we've we got some targets set out for the guys. When they reach the targets, we, we give them a little incentive. Um, yeah, so I, I want to say that and just training, 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 you know, and the, dri the drive of, of the guys are quite high just to reaching the targets and exceeding the targets, you know. Um, you know, and, and I just want to learn the whole time. Every single time. That, that's just never ending. <laughs> but it's good. Just just lots of training, lots of positive reinforcement for the trainers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you mentioned Tabs there, so Tabitha Stokes um, yeah. working over in Malawi, did you say? Yeah. So how is she... Uh, How's she getting on? Because Tabs and I, uh, we, we've done a little bit of stuff together in the past, but I haven't seen her or spoken to her in a little while. How's yeah, she she's doing good, actually. Um, last time we saw, she she came to visit our program with some of our handlers, and they they good. They're really good. Um, working there at the airport sometimes and doing roadblocks, everything else. I'm bound to visit them uh, next year. So, yeah. <laughs> 
But because doing doing a certification assessment. Or, yeah, so we'll do. Yeah, so we'll do a little bit of uh, training and then uh, evaluation and then a certification. Great. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, if I don't speak to her before, <laughs> send her <laughs> yeah. my regards. Yeah. Um, but I should probably try and speak to her before that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so your team. What are you? What are you guys focusing on next? What's What's next with your team? Are you, are you trying to gr- keep on growing? You know, get more <laughs> wins. The, yeah, so um, so we are expanding um, next year. Um, early next year, we'll receive four new dogs. Um, we've just pulled new kennels in Chifunda and then um, in Sumbu at Lake Tanganyika. So those will be our new project um, where we're going to try to do what we do in North Park and just go out with the dogs, find a lot of things and clear the area and then um, yeah, try to expand from there as well. Uh, one thing I'm quite excited about is we want to teach dogs to uh, find fish in water, specific fish species in water. Um, Mm -hmm. And then after that, yeah, we'll see. Um, Well, I'm going to be quite busy as well next year, so I'm going to go to Zimbabwe and Malawi um, to do a little bit of certification in both both, uh, units. Um, Yeah, and just working it. And that's good because uh, this the conservation canines seem to be growing um, in use and popularity throughout the continent. Yes. Um, is that is that true? Is is yeah, are dogs being more widely used? And are, are they being used in the right way? Do you think? I think so. So there is there is programs that's got the right setup, the right you know uh, the right everything, and and they making good use of the dogs. Um, but there's also, sadly to say, programs that's not doing it. So they started with the expectation, just train these dogs, get to work, and the unit is self-sustained. But it is quite difficult to find a, a trainer that that will be over there, remote area, uh, remote areas, and keep that level, you know, on the standard at the least. Um, and it's. Uh, and if, if basically if you get a trainer in and you train these dogs, basically I'm just going to explain. So like you train the do- these dogs to level one and the program is doing well. The trainer goes to the next program. These, these guys are still fairly new and they, and they will degrade basically and go back to, to level zero. And when, once that trainer comes back, he doesn't have enough time to, to train them even more. So they'll just train up to level one. The trainer will go away, they'll fall again, and it will keep on that loop, basically. So that's why it's so important to get somebody into a program that's dedicated and to the canine unit, basically a trainer that's that's there for the guys to keep growing the unit. Um, otherwise, your unit just going to stay at level one, level one, which is not a good thing, you know. And then people realize uh, this is quite a money but and we're not getting results, uh, we need to stop this unit, basically, which is which is bad. Mm. That's a big problem. So, I mean, apart from yourself and Tabs, obviously, um, who, are, who are the other good people, you know, doing great work out in Africa, do you think? Oh, yeah, so there's a, where I'm staying right now is Paul Hendrik from the Berg. He's uh, the master trainer, ACT certified as well, um, working for wildlife crime prevention. He's the trainer over here for the unit. They are quite good. In what they do, um, are extremely good in what they do. Um, 
and then Grumeti's got a very good unit. Um, Liwa's got a very good unit. Um, Kruger Park um, has got a good unit. So there's a bunch of good units. Uh, um, we've got a couple of good units in, in Zambia. Um, so it's North Hwangwa, South Hwangwa, Lozambezi, and Lusaka unit. And everybody's expanding. So it's really, they are working it. And But w w I try to focus to make it better, better, better. Yeah. So. so, so what do you think are the biggest challenges then? You know that need to be overcome. So, and I'm thinking about the industry globally now. So, so yeah, within Africa, but also in the rest of the world. You know, what what are the big challenges? You know, the, to, as conservation dog specialists, we've got to overcome. Oh, I think. Oh. Hmm. I think uh, finding good people, basically. To run these programs you know if, if you don't have good people to run these programs it's never going to work um funding is already hard enough to get you know um especially for a new a new unit you know if you don't have good uh, people to run this unit uh, it's, it's not going to work out <laughs> that's a that's a ma major major challenge for for me and what does a good person look like for that no, just like a normal person, basically. But it's uh, <laughs> uh, um, a good person. I think uh, somebody with exceptional drive to work. Um, you know, I've got some, some one one of my analysts, Moses. He is he's getting over there now. Where we have to tell him, "Oh, you need to slow down. You're working too much." Basically, you know, that guy's record of arrest and finding things is quite impressive. Um, and we have to stop him sometimes from overworking. Sometimes we have to like say, oh, you need to take forced leave and <laughs> go and rest. <laughs> so, yeah. He's out working the dogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and yeah, before we finish up, um, have you got any particular sort of stories, you know, you'd like to tell anything, you know, really kind of fun or interesting or anything where something really funny's happened, you know, with any of the teams? Oh, I've, I've, so we went once on tracking, um, where we had this uh, fantastic tracker dog, um, Tesla. He passed away um, a couple of years ago. But um, we've been tracking, uh, we've done a, like a four-kilometer track, and the handler, she was quite new. Not quite new, but fairly new. Um, she tracked, and this dog would be one of those dogs that veer, veer off of the track. And um, he, he, you could have seen it clearly. And the dog just went on, on scent and tracked the guys, track, track, track. And then he stopped and turned left and looked at the handler. It was like, can I track this? And the handler went, yep, track. And she didn't track a person anymore. She tracked the elephant. And the elephant was like <laughs> sleeping and standing up and sleeping, and they ran underneath the elephant basically. And um, <laughs> everything, everything, she, she started screaming, the dog started chasing the elephant, and yeah, luckily, nothing bad happened. Um, we had another dog where we did tracking, and the leopard jumped out of the tree almost on top of the dog. Um, oh, yeah, luckily, the, 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 the decoy was close by, so. The dog basically just went, I don't know what it was. I'm supposed to do this. Oh, yeah, you are. And we rewarded. So she forgot about that bad experience. So, yeah. 
was lucky. Yeah, was lucky. very <laughs> lucky. Yeah, and, and we've we've got amazing finds, you know, um, for some dogs uh, where one dog found uh, a weapon in a beehive while the whole village was looking, you know, because they yeah. because they they were like very confused, so they don't understand the concept very clear about dogs finding finding wildlife products, weapons, or ammunition, and. Um, so we went to a village, we searched us, and the guy said, Ah, oh, you see, we don't have anything. Why are you harassing us? And then the guy took the dog, walked walked back to the vehicle, and the dog indicated, well, showed a change of behavior on the BI. And the whole village were there by this time. And Anders went, Just go with the dog, go with the dog. And the dog indicated on the BI. And we called the guy, said, Is this yours? He said, Yes. Open it up and take it out. And he took out a weapon, so they're like, "Ooh, <laughs> oops!" <laughs> yeah, oh, that's amazing. That yeah. sounds like they're doing great stuff. Yeah, awesome. Look, Ben, really, really, really appreciate you taking the time to chat. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you and uh, finding out more about the work you're doing over there. So, if people are interested in learning more about your your work in particular, um, how should they contact you, or how should they get in touch and find out? Well, more? they can just email me. Um, I just want to get my email address. So it's B-E-N-N-Y dot V-A-N-Z-Y-L at fzs.org. Great. Okay, I'll put it in the show notes as well for people. Okay, cool. <laughs> so they can they can access that there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, look, really, really uh, appreciate your time today. And uh, thanks a lot, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Conservation Canine Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, please like, share and subscribe wherever you find us.